So now that we cannot meet, are we still the church? So that's the question we've been discussing over the past couple of weeks. And today's message has great bearing for you, uh, has great bearing for me in this season of quarantine and isolation due to the COVID-19 virus, which has really impacted everything. I mean, have you heard that the drive-in movie theater is making a comeback? I mean, because of the restrictions of being inside a theater to watch a movie, Drive-in theaters where you sit in your car have surged in popularity. You don't have to be exposed to other people. You can enjoy the movie. In fact, Miami Dolphins Hard Rock Stadium is converting into both the drive-in and open-air movie theater. I guess it seems as if the need for connection is felt all over the place. I think that's one demonstration of how important connections are to us. We need the connections of significant relationships in this world. Everyone needs that. But just because we have relationships doesn't mean the right kind of connections are happening to us. So I have really enjoyed watching The Last Dance, um, which provides a behind-the-scenes look at the 98 Bulls' sixth championship season. Michael Jordan has always been a favorite of mine. Um, He's definitely a winner. Um, He's very much driven by competition and the desire to win at all costs. Now, he had relationships with many guys during that particular season, but not much in the way of long-term meaningful relationships. Um, It was very well known that Michael Jordan drove his teammates to win. And as much as I admire Michael Jordan, it's a sad commentary about the relationships that he had and his need for others. I mean, if winning is everything, then he rules. But I think meaningful relationships rule. Now, we know there are unsafe relationships, unhealthy relationships. There's mundane relationships. But the relationships you and I need are the ones that center us on God in our walk with his son. I mean, Jesus spent three years with a group of guys. Yeah, it was training them, but it was also the connection of relationships. He's human, and he set that example for you and for me. Today, we're going to learn the basis upon which those meaningful relationships are built, what makes those relationships so crucial, and especially how, you, how can you foster those relationships in this very challenging season. So our series is called The Church Quarantined. Now that we cannot meet, are we still the church? So week one, we learned the church is a body, not a building. Last week, we learned that the church 
is about serving, not sitting on our backsides. And today, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. It's in the New Testament to learn how crucial connection and relationships are with our walk with Jesus. Now, Hebrews is a very Jewish book. It was written to help Jewish Christians with their faith and to be an influence on other Jews to come to Jesus. And even in our passage today, you're going to see words and phrases connected to the Jewish temple and the work of the high priest. And the writer of Hebrews is culminating a great teaching on the powerful work of Jesus as our Savior, which actually begins back in chapter 4. And so today, here's the truth that we learn. You need the intimate connection of others in the body of Christ Don't abandon the church. Rather, connect to encourage. So let me read Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. You follow along in your Bible. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. So this is a passage that truly requires an understanding of Jewish culture, of the law, the Old Testament, specifically surrounding the temple and the significance of the most holy place and the work of the high priest in that temple. And so we need this background because of how it provides a picture, the Theologians use the word foreshadowing in the Old Testament of the work of Jesus Christ. But it provides a picture not just for a Jew, but for the entire world. So again, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. The room known as the Holy of Holies was the innermost and most sacred area of the temple in Jerusalem. The Holy of Holies was constructed as a perfect cube. It contained only the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of Israel's special relationship with God. The Holy of Holies was accessible only to the Israelite high priest. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest was permitted to enter the small windowless enclosure to burn incense and sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial animal on the mercy seat of the ark. By doing so, the high priest atoned for his own sins and those of the people. The Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the temple by the veil, a huge, heavy drape made of fine linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and embroidered with gold cherubim. The veil and the elaborate rituals undertaken by the priest were a reminder that man could not carelessly or irreverently enter God's awesome presence 
before the high priest entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. He had to wash himself, put on special clothing, bring burning incense and sacrificial blood with him to make atonement for sins. The significance of the Holy of Holies to us as Christians is found in the events surrounding the crucifixion of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, Matthew records this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil was not torn in half by any man. It was a supernatural event done by the power of God to make a very specific point. Because of the death of Christ on the cross, man was no longer separated from God. The Old Testament temple system was made obsolete as the new covenant was ratified. No longer would we have to depend on priests to perform once a year sacrifices on our behalf. Christ's body was torn on the cross, just as the veil was torn in the temple. And now we have access to God through Jesus. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, is now open to all who come to Christ in faith. Where before, there was this imposing barrier guarded by this veil, the cherubim on the veil, God has now opened a way by the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a great picture of the work of Jesus. Again, he says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. See, now it's not just one man coming once a year, but all of humanity is invited to come into God's presence. And then he uses the phrase by a new and living way, a new way. It's a picture that describes a way that was never available before. It was blocked. It was impassable. There was no entrance. But now we can walk right in by the blood of Jesus, through the curtain, his body. And so the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood on the cross, it makes our confidence to enter into God's presence possible. Now the writer of Hebrews is teaching the crucial and essential work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's teaching that Jesus changes everything for those of us who put our trust in his work on the cross. But it's not enough to just believe that Jesus existed. We must put our, work, our trust in his work on the cross. We declare that we are not enough, but that Jesus absolutely is. And the writer is revealing we have this great need in our lives and our great high priest, Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, has made the way of salvation open to us, which was not open before. Our need is great, but the work of Jesus is greater. It meets that need. And so imagine going from a place of fear and doubt and hopelessness to a place of confidence 
hope and peace to a Jew that had accepted Jesus Christ. That, that had been unheard of. But most of you listening to me know what that journey is like. We found ourselves empty, uneasy, hopeless. But then we found Jesus and learned that he met this desperate need by opening a way to God, and he did it by shedding his blood on the cross. And then we learn he opens his arms to you and to me and invites us to receive forgiveness for our past and hope for the future. And we receive his forgiveness by coming with our hearts open, our hands empty, declaring our desperate need for him. Let's worship him for meeting our need.
Jesus is our one defense. He is our righteousness because he shed his blood on the cross for you and me. We worship him for that. So the writer declares the work of Jesus, and then he takes this same picture of the temple, and he turns it into three challenges, three exhortation to his followers. I bet you've noticed it. The let us phrase is exhortation number one, let us draw near to God. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So in the Jewish world, it was clearly understood that no one but the high priest could draw near to God. No one could do that. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place which represented the presence of God. But now the writer on behalf of God is specifically inviting all believers to draw near to God. In other words, because of, the, of Jesus, the way to God has been open. And so let's draw near to God. So how does that make you feel to hear this invitation? Draw near to God. Does it encourage you? Does it frighten you? Does it challenge you? Now, the writer reveals in this passage two attitudes that must be present as we draw near to God. A sincere heart. In other words, something that's not phony or pretend. When we come into God's presence, it's important that you're real. He knows everything about us anyway. We come to him with a sincere, not phony heart, and we come with the full assurance that faith brings. I love that phrase. It's assurance because of the person in whom we're putting our faith in. That's Jesus Christ. I can draw near to God, totally myself, no pretending, and be fully assured of God's love for me, all because of what Jesus Christ has done. And then he includes two other pictures of the temple sacrificial process in, in this particular passage. Look again at verse 22. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Hearts sprinkled, bodies washed. See, the sprinkling of blood and water on the high priest, it was a part of the ceremonial cleansing required before he could go into God's presence. But when we put our trust in the work of Jesus, he's the one who cleanses all of us. He cleanses our body, our soul, our conscience, our past, our present from any sin in our life. In fact, I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.11. He says, that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. We can draw near to God because He's cleansed us. So what does it look like to draw near to God? You need to understand that drawing near to God is an activity that transcends time and place. We don't go to a building or a place to be near to God. The church is in a holy place where God lives. Because the church is you and me. Remember, God lives in us. And what the writer is, is referencing here is this daily practice of understanding and living in the presence of God. So how do we practice the presence of God? 
Well, obviously reading the Bible, spending time praying to him, those are clear ways to practice his presence as we talk to him and he talks to us. Listening to worship music or worshiping together, hearing his word proclaimed, those are also ways. But we can practice God's presence all of the time because you see God's not just in a temple. God is everywhere. I mean, even Solomon, who built the original temple for God, recognized that a building couldn't contain God. Here's what he says in 2 Chronicles 2.6. But it was able to build a temple for him, since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Who then am I to build a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? We draw near to God. We practice his presence. That's the first exhortation. Exhortation number two is that we need to hold on to hope. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised, he is faithful. To hold unswervingly. The word hold is in the present tense. It's an ongoing need that we have to hold on to in our life. And when life gets stressful and difficult, which it can be right now, when you find yourself in the dark valley of the shadow of fear and the shadow of death, to what do you turn to? What are you holding on to? See, we can hold on to this faith because of who it is grounded. It is grounded, founded upon God's faithfulness. Real hope comes because of the one in whom we place our trust. And for us, hope isn't wishful thinking. It's not even a what or a when. For us, hope is a who. It is God himself. You know that sometimes that's all we can do is is hold on because life is so difficult. And without hope, we, we lose heart. So we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who died on the cross for the sins of the world and for me, who rose from the grave victorious. He is my Savior and Lord. That's the hope we profess. You see, our hope is not in ourselves, our abilities to be good. It is in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Draw near to God. Hold on to hope. And the third exhortation is this. Encourage one another. Back to Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let us spur one another on. Let us encourage one another. And the reason this is so crucial is obvious. We can't make it alone. You and I both know we need each other. Don't go it alone. But apparently some of the Christians were 
abandoning the gathering. This was their habit, the writer is saying. It really, it can be the tendency for any of us. Life gets busy, it gets filled up, and we abandon other believers. Say, wait, wait a minute, Doug, that's a little bit too harsh of a word. I'm not abandoning others when I don't gather. Yeah, you are. Your life and my schedule are the priority, not others in our church family who need the encouragement that you and you alone can bring. And so when we choose to skip the gathering, whether in person or online, whether in the home of someone hosting our small group or our online small group, we are saying that I am more important than your need, that my schedule comes before your need. And so the writer really challenges all of us. We need the church as we strive to draw close to God. We need the church to help us hold on to faith. We need to encourage and we need to be encouraged. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, encouraging one another. Now, this encouragement takes different forms. Sometimes the encouragement is a challenge, kick in the backside, right? Sometimes it's a reminder. And sometimes it's offering comfort, all of which are needed at various times in our lives. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That's a challenge, right? To stay with it. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. That's a reminder. Do that encouragement. 2 Corinthians 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's a comfort. And as God's people, we need to make gathering a priority so that we can challenge, encourage, exhort, comfort one another. Intentional Christian community, it's a non-negotiable part of the Christian walk. I mean, that's why here at Wildwood, we, we so emphasize our smaller communities that we call small groups. It's the intentional choice to step into relationships with others. Now, why does the writer add that we need to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching? What, what is the day? Well, that's a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That scripture is very clear that one day soon, God's going to stop time and he's going to send his son, Jesus Christ, not as a humble servant, but as a mighty warrior to defeat the enemy and his work and his power in this world and ultimately to judge the entire world. But in the meantime, scripture also is clear that living for Jesus will grow more difficult so we need this encouragement one for another to, to hold on, to draw near to God as we see this day approaching. So let me ask you, are you connecting and encouraging the church, Wildwood Christian Church? I, mean, I know this season has made it way more difficult to connect, and yet it's possible. But it takes what? Intentionality. It takes a prioritization. Because it's so easy for us to isolate right now. 
I'm really proud of my wife who set up several Zoom calls with other women in the church, as well as some of her friends scattered over the United States, just to encourage one another. There's a group of ladies in our church who meet in the driveway of one of our members, um, staying distance, but connecting and encouraging her and one another. And there's story after story of our church connecting, encouraging, engaging in relationships to help parents, to help those who are elderly. So what about you? Are you making it a priority to encourage the church? I want you to remember that even the smallest kindness makes such a difference. Today's episode is three simple ways to change someone's entire day. I've been trail running a few times this week. It's a good way to practice self-distancing because the woods are usually empty. It helps fight back the amount of Pringles I've been eating during the um, crisis and it makes me a nicer person. Whenever my wife says, John, I think you should go running. What she's really saying is you're being a bit of a jerk. Why don't, why don't you go jog that off? Yesterday, when I was a few miles in, I ran by an old man that I recognized from the week before. He's always wearing a sweatshirt. He's always walking up the trail and he's always jamming out to those old school foam headphones that we all used to own. This time when I passed him, and yes, we were at least 10 feet apart, he looked up, recognized me, and then gave me a double thumbs up. And that made my entire day. I immediately waved back and I, I thought about it the entire rest of the run. I told my wife about it when I got home and I even decided to tell you. Why did that matter so much to me? Why did something so minor feel so major? And I, I think I figured it out. Crisis magnifies kindness. Let me say that again. Crisis magnifies kindness. A few months ago in January, if some random old man in the woods gave me a double thumbs up, I might have shrugged it off. I might have thought, that's, that's weird. I might have even questioned his motives. What's his problem? Now though, because we're all so starved for interaction, even the smallest kindness counts. In the midst of a crisis, a small act can have big results. So how do you create one for a friend? for a neighbor, for a coworker, there's a really simple three-step process. You ready? Step one, ask someone what they need. You can't meet a need you don't know about. Step two, listen to their answer. Half the time, that's all the person wants. They wanna be seen and heard at a time when sheltering at home is making a lot of people feel invisible. And step three, act on their need. Do what you can. You might not be able to solve their whole problem. What they need might be bigger than you, but even helping a little bit feels like a lot in the middle of a crisis. Every time I run on that trail now, I look for that old man. I'm going to ask him what his name is. I'm going to thank him for the double thumbs up. And then I'm going to find ways to do that same thing for someone else. Why? Because right now, even the smallest kindness counts. Even the smallest kindness counts. So I want us to do some reflecting. If you have never put your trust in Jesus as Savior, you can do that today. If you email me and let me know that you want to accept Jesus Christ, I'll meet you at the church building today. Take your confession of faith to baptize you into Jesus Christ as you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That can happen today. But how can you encourage others in our church? What do you need to do to make gathering as a church a priority? I want us to take some time 
to reflect on that. So I'm going to pray for us. There's going to be some questions and some music to give you the opportunity, to me the opportunity to say, am I being an encourager? Am I connecting with my church family? Lord, I need this reminder of how isolation is so harmful to my Christian life. Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence, not pretending. Father, that we can come in full confidence because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to draw near to you. Help us to hold on to that faith that comes from you. And Lord, let us be a place of great encouragement, all because of you. In your most precious name we pray, amen. Thank you.